Let's go ahead and mark number 110. That's the song we'll sing uh, after our next lesson. Uh, number 110, we'll sing all three verses at the appropriate time. After you mark that, uh, let's turn to number 176. Number 176, praise the Lord. We'll sing verses 1, 2, and 4 of 176. Praise the Lord, ye heavens, adore Him. Praise Him, angels in the high. Sun and moon rejoice before Him. Praise Him, all ye stars of light. Hallelujah, amen. Broken, for the guidance he hath made. Hallelujah, amen. 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 Praise the God of our salvation, O Son. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 2 for this hour. This is the summer of life, ages 25 to 40. And the subtitle of this session is All the Pieces in Place. Subtitle to the last hour was putting an old man's head on a young man's shoulders. And we try to do that by helping the young to see from the perspective of the old how valuable time is how important good decisions are even in youth and choosing wisely one's life path. That's putting an old man's head on a young man's shoulders, letting them see from the wisdom of those who've gone past them how it may benefit them. Now the second session, putting all the pieces in place, is your life it has certain components. 
And a well-balanced life not only includes those four areas we just talked about, physical, intellectual, social, and spiritual, but they also include some things that you're going to do as a part of your human experience, a part of living in this world. And there are five things that are important that must be in place for the Christian. The first one is to become a Christian. We're not going to spend a lot of emphasis there, but if you're taking notes... That normally will happen in the spring of life, when you're 12, 13, 14, when you reach an age of accountability, you understand the difference between right and wrong, you know that you've sinned, you want to be forgiven of sin, you want to begin a relationship with God that will last forever. So you could put Acts 2.38 there, Mark 16.16, Acts 8.35-40. You become a Christian by believing in Jesus, repenting of sin, confessing Christ, and being baptized in water for the forgiveness of sins. That's the first important step and the most important step you'll ever make in your life, and most people do that in the spring. The second is choosing your career. We just talked about that. The third is choosing your spouse. Now that used to happen in the spring of life. Some of you may be old enough to remember that. When it was my parents, for instance. They married, uh, my dad was two years older than my mom, but they married as soon as she graduated in May and they married in June. You know, that was typical in that generation to marry immediately after high school. Now before that, it was not unusual to be married for the girl, the woman to be 15 years old and the husband to be 17 years, 18 years old. That was typical in my grandparents' age and even the generation before that. That's not typical today. You don't have people marrying uh, as teenagers today. And adolescents, those who study such things, say that adolescence now extends to about age 25. That's the reason we cut it off the spring of life at age 25. Adolescence is when we're still developing our maturity. And so most people are not marrying, especially the men, until after age 25. Now, the Bible says 1 Corinthians 7, it's better to marry than to burn. So if you need to be married in order to be sexually pure at a younger age, and you're mature enough to do that, then marry at a younger age. That's what the Bible teaches. But most don't, so let's just pick up with choosing a spouse. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but I'm going to uh, talk about characteristics. You've heard of the 20 questions, right? Here, i got the 20 questions. And I'm going to email this to Jeff. And he can print this off or email it to you if you just want to listen because you won't be able to write all this down. Let me tell you what this is, though. Uh, 32 years ago, I heard, a le- I heard a class at Faulkner University taught by Wendell Winkler that I'm about to give you what he gave us. And it struck me then as being important. And I have referred back to this all through the years. And there are a few lessons that you hear in life that are like that. And this is one of them. So I'm going to give you the 20 questions you should ask before you marry somebody. You know, you're looking for a certain kind of person. Here are the questions. This would also be true. Uh, he actually gave us three lists. This is the general list that both the male and the female should ask of each other. There's a, a specific male list and a specific female list. And I could also send those to you. I'm not going to go over those in class. But um, these, these are important. So if you're thinking about settling down and marrying, is this the person, the right one? Well, here are the questions to ask. Number one, is she a Christian and sincerely interested in the church? Don't marry somebody who's not a Christian. Please, please don't marry somebody outside the faith because that's going to have the most influence on you whether you make it to heaven or whether your children do. Number two, is she a person whose temperament and interests are compatible with you? 
You know, sometimes people marry for superficial reasons. I'm really, she's beautiful, and I want, I want a beautiful wife, or I'm sexually attracted to her. Well, that, neither one of those is wrong, provided you don't, uh, you're married in, in, to enjoy those things. But that's pretty shallow. You're going to need to know, is your temperament, are you compatible with each other? And uh, do you have interest? Are you, are you going to be bored in each other's company? That's important. Three, I can't preach these. Three, is she a basically unselfish person? Very important. Four, is she a basically honest person? Five, is she patient and understanding? Six, does she have a sense of humor? That's pretty important. Does she laugh at your jokes? I mean, that's pretty important. <laughs> she roll her eyes and say, <laughs> might want to keep looking. Is she, is she willing to work and take her fair share of responsibility? Eight, is she in generally good health? Well, that's not necessarily a reason to say, no, I'm not going to marry this person, but you should give that consideration because that's going to definitely impact the rest of your life. Nine, are you agreed with her as to your plans regarding home and family? Number of children, for instance. Well, I come from a big family. I want six kids. She was an only child. Probably going to need to put your heads together on that one. She's going to be having those babies. And she, you know... And you're going to be disappointed if she says, the one's all I want. What about homeschooling or public school? You know, you may have an opinion one way or the other, but you need to have the same opinion as your spouse. Number next, uh, does she have the same educational level that you have? Not a deal breaker, but is important to consider. Eleven, personally neat and clean. Free from annoying mannerisms. Number twelve, um, content to let you have your own hobby and you to let her have her own. Don't have to be involved in every aspect of each other's lives. Thirteen, have definite convictions about what is right and able to express them without alienating others. Fourteen, uh, able to talk through problems or souls up and pouts and won't talk. Fifteen, shows unusual jealousy and possessiveness. Sixteen, has a good family background. Do you like her parents, her family, her brothers and sisters? Do you like that situation? That's what's normal to her. Um, Seventeen, shows an awareness of the value of money. Not a spendthrift, but also not so miserly as you can enjoy what God's given to you. Uh, Eighteen, shows maturity and coping with disappointments. Nineteen, shows deep character. Sympathetic person, cheerful person, compassionate to others, and 20, close enough in age to avoid complications now and later. You know, if you get more than five years, it depends, you know, especially it matters at certain stages, especially in the earliest years and then at the end, those things are going to matter. So um, you, you will need to talk about that, especially if there's a pretty wide gap. So that's all I'll say about that. I'll send that to him. If you want a copy, then... Uh, you can give me your email address or me, and I'll send it to you too. Now let's talk about marriage. I said Genesis chapter 2. <clears throat> there are 171,000 words in the English language. There are 773,746 words in the Bible. If you pick up a marriage book, like a class book, it would have about 90,000 words in it. You pick up a track... Uh, like a, a, pamphlet, a pamphlet would have about a thousand words, a, a booklet would have about three thousand words, a sermon about five thousand words. You know, 
unless some of us might have a little bit more. <laughs> uh, if you had a, a traditional wedding ceremony, have about 1,150 words in it. So a lot of words. But there are 22 words that you have to know to have a good marriage. And they're old, ancient words. They were spoken at the first wedding. Genesis chapter 2 records what God did on the second half of day 6. Let me go through this sort of quickly, but just to build up to it. Uh, there seems like there's a non sequitur here. It says, Genesis 2.18, that it's not good the man should be. It's the first time God said something wasn't good. You know, day 1, good. Day 2, good, good, very good. All the way through. The... But here's something not good. A man by himself. It's not good that man should be alone. And then this non sequitur, where you have this jump from that to animals being paraded in front of Adam and he's giving them all names. Some people think Adam was a, you know, a stick-carrying Neanderthal, you know? Can you imagine naming the entire creation, animal creation of God and remembering what you called him? I tried to invent a word one time for a sermon. You know? I couldn't even come up with one word that wasn't a word, you know? Can you imagine remembering, well, what did I call that? It's a cow. That's what I call that, you know? So, but the main point was, doubtless, here is the stallion and the mare, the bull and the heifer, the rooster and the chicken, and the chicken, the ram and the ewe. And at some point, it must have dawned on Adam, hey, everything God made has a companion but me. I'm all by myself. You see, God knew it wasn't good for Adam to be alone, but Adam didn't know it. So he showed him that everything needs a companion. And at some point, so then God causes a deep sleep to come upon Adam. That's the first surgery, the first anesthetic. And it takes a rib from Adam and makes Eve. Dust double refined. You know, the crown of creation. The final act of, final creative, creative act of God on day six. And he, uh, Matthew Henry said centuries ago now, he did not take her from Adam's head that she should rule over him, nor from his foot that he should trample upon her, but from under his arm that he should protect her, from near to his heart that he should cherish her. And then God Himself performs the first wedding ceremony. You know, they didn't wake up in hospital bed beside each other. You know, it wasn't like he's looking at this new scar he's got in his side and wondering, well, what happened when I was asleep? You know, he, he wakes up. And they didn't have any clothes, you know, until after the sin in Genesis 3. We're in Genesis 2. So here God is presenting him with his bride. Can you imagine what a beautiful creature Eve must have been? Maybe the most beautiful woman that ever lived. So by some old preacher, uh, he pictured it like this. Adam's waking up from that deep sleep. And he looks up and he sees Eve. And he goes, whoa, man! And she was called woman. <laughs> well, that's not the etymology of that word, this man with a womb. But I'm sure he was impressed. And then God gave these 22 words. And if you and I have successful Marriages, it will be because we've learned the three principles from these 22 words. Let's read together Genesis 2, 24. And the Bible says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. 
Now, in your version, it may be 21 words. I had to change the title of my sermon when I used the New King James because it's 21 words in New King James, 22 in Old King James. But either way, the three principles are the same. Leave, cleave, and weave two lives together. Let's talk about those three principles quickly. Leave father and mother. Now, there was no father and mother to leave here, so obviously God is setting a precedent for Adam's children, descendants, down the line that whenever Adam and Eve have children and they get married, they have to leave father and mother and so forth all the way down the line. Now, that's an imperative in marriages today. And one of the great, the, the great complaints about marriage that young people have is mother-in-law interference or family interference in our relationship. They won't let us make our decisions. They keep sticking their nose in our business. Well, we as parents need to be aware of that and realize that that's a different family now. They may be related to me, but they're no longer in my immediate family. They have established their own home, and they are making their own decisions, and they must live with their own consequences. Now, if they, need our, if they want our advice, they'll ask for it, or if we volunteer it, they don't have to, to take it, you know, because sometimes there's a different perspective in those two. For instance, how many children to have and when to have them? You know, they may be ready for grandchildren here. You know, I've been waiting a long time for you to get married. Finally, I want to, but they may not be able to afford a grandchild, a child yet. They might not be in the point in their marriage where they're ready to make that commitment. And so that's their decision to make. There are three ways to leave father and mother, and each one of them is significant. Number one is to leave father and mother physically. It's never a good idea, never a good idea for this new couple to move into the home with her parents or his parents. I don't know anybody's situation here, so I don't, I'm probably not sipping anybody's toes, but if so, it's not, it's not deliberate. I don't know what you may have done, or, and it may have worked out for you if you did that, but I can tell you this. If you, there's no house big enough for two families, there's no kitchen big enough for two women. You know? What doesn't need to happen is <clears throat> when you have your first let me call it uh, loud discussion in your relationship, and that's going to happen. Dad doesn't need to be on the other side of that bedroom door with his baseball bat saying, you wait till that boy comes out. I'm going to teach him a thing or two. Talk to my daughter like that. No, it's not Dad's business. <clears throat> I'll say this carefully, but the couple needs privacy for the conjugal relationship that God has bequeathed to them in that relationship, Hebrews 13.4. And that needs a space, time, opportunity to develop and to be enjoyed. That's difficult in someone else's house. So, find your own place. It may be a small place. A garage apartment above, uh, that you rent from someone. It might be an a, you know, apartment that's with a lot of other people that you don't know living around you. It might be a, a house somewhere. Whatever it is, uh, it's your own place. You can decorate it. You can come and go as you want. You know, it's not even a good idea to be on the same property with your parents. You know, mom gets up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. She looks out the window and says, huh, I wonder what their lot, that lot's on over there. What are they doing this time? What are they awake this time of night? What? Is everything okay over there? <laughs> You know, or I noticed you didn't get in last night until 12:30. What? You, it's not your business anymore, is it? 
You know, the old preachers used to say you should move at least one river and three mountains away from your parents. <laughs> I preached this lesson years. I preached on Genesis two years ago, in uh, backwoods of Mississippi, and there's, there's an elder there. I had known him a little bit. He also preached. He was a great man. And I did in the Bible class, and uh, between Bible class and worship, he said, I want to tell you something about that Bible class today after everybody's gone. I thought, oh no. And I was just a kid preacher, and I thought, what if I, I must have said something wrong? He's going to help me, you know? But he, after everybody left, he said, that's what, this reminded me, let me tell you a story, you might use this in your preaching. And I have used it. I'm using it today. He said, uh, what you said, that's what we did. We moved into her parents' house. He said, almost destroyed our, our marriage. He said, I got up one morning and I said, um, I don't remember her name, I'm just going to say Janice. Janice, we're moving when I get off work today. She laughed because she thought I was joking. I, she could tell I wasn't joking. She said, I said, have everything packed, we're moving today. He got home from work, she had everything packed. They said their goodbyes I got in his old car. Down the dirt road in Mississippi, you know, a lot of roads back then, and still are, a lot of them are dirt in Mississippi. And uh, it came to a T, dead end. And he said, which way do you want to go? Go right? He said, if she had said right, we were going to go to Memphis. He said, I figured I could get a job in Memphis. He said, she said left, so we went to Texas. He said, I had a... I had an uncle in Texas. I figured he could help me get a job, and that's what happened. He got out there. He said, we rented an apartment above somebody's garage. We didn't have two nickels to rub together, but we were the happiest we were ever in our whole marriage. And he said, that saved our marriage. Leave physically. Two, leave emotionally. You have to be able to make a decision live with the consequences. It's Galatians 6.5, bear your own burdens. You have to get out of your warm bed on a cold night and rock a sick child that cries all night and then go to work. You got to pay your taxes, pay your bills on time. You got to do what, I mean, you, you got to make decisions. You got to be emotionally responsible. You got to be mature. You're not ready to be married until those things are true. Galatians 6 5, Galatians 6 2, Genesis 3 19, earn your bread by the sweat of your brow. That's all I'll say about that. Well, let me just say this. Um, <clears throat> you need to get advice from other people to make good decisions. You know, don't make war with counsel or buy property with counsel, whatever it is you do. I remember we built our house, and I never built a house. My dad built all the houses we lived in, which was three or four when I was growing up, and we helped him. You know, he knew about building houses. He'd, and I didn't know about property, so I was looking at this lot. Dad, come over and walk over this property with me. Get to me. And so he walked over and he said, yeah, this, this is good. This will be, you can get a septic tank right back here. This is a good place. We'll clear this off and you can have a good view from here. And you know, he saw things I never would have seen. And then, so, got the plans to build. Would you make any adjustments to these? Well, this, you probably, we're going to want this bathroom a little bigger, I would say, probably. And, you know, things like that. And I'm like, I'm writing that down. Now, <clears throat> get advice but who, who made those mortgage payments? You know, I mean, I could have tried, but it would have been a no, you know. Uh, so make your own decisions. What about a job, you know? Should, 
Well, I got this job opportunity in Denver, Colorado. Oh, don't take that. No, Ma, you, you only get to, we only get to see you two times a year. You don't want to go out there and have grandkids. When you have grandkids, we're going to... Yeah, but it might be the best career advancement move you could make to move out there for a couple of years or for five years. You know, in other words, your perspective is different than theirs. So get advice, but maintain your autonomy and make your own decisions. Number three, leave father and mother financially. You're not ready to get married until you've got a budget and it's funded. Those two things are important. Um, I'll spend a few minutes here and talk about because this is if you if you have marriage trouble, this is going to be most likely where it will happen in in your marriage is about money. Now, when you first get married, I want to illustrate this with my body language. Here you have the the wife who's grown up in a family of origin. He has grown up in a different family of origin. They both have an economic level. It might be similar. It might be different. But I could tell you when uh, her dad got first started out at the same age that her fiancé or new husband is now, you know, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, maybe 30 years ago, he started out at the bottom, and he, he got a job. He worked hard. He started, you know, doing the menial tasks nobody else wanted to do. He, he did well, he advanced, and over the years he's grown with the company, he's received additional education as it was available to him, and others have retired out, and he's moved up, and others have gotten fired, and he's stayed, and, and so now he's in management, and the pay is commensurate with his position and responsibility. He used to make money down here when she was born, she don't remember that. Now that she's been a teenager for the last three, four, five, six years, he's been pulling in probably the best salary that he'll make in his entire life. And so their economic level represents his paycheck. You know, she's never really had to worry about uh, clothes. You know, she, she gets to get new clothes every school year, and they are the kind the, you know, have the label in it that she likes the best. And now uh, when it came time to get a car, you know, he said, go pick you one out. Or he said, we can afford this, and she got one she liked. Uh, they were going on vacation, so she never really thought about where the money came for for that. She gets, gets to pick out what school she's going to, and he didn't ever, she doesn't worry about the economic level up here. She's marrying this young man that she loves, he loves her, but his paycheck comes in with less numbers on it than her dad's. It's probably about the same level as her dad was 25 years ago, but she doesn't remember that. She only remembers recent years. Now, <clears throat> got a new home, excited about it. We got to get some nice furniture, you know, and I, I, you got to have a car, and I got to have a car, and you know, let's plan our vacation this summer. We're going to go somewhere nice, and you know, and then that's what she's used to. I'm not picking on her. This, this could go either direction, and does. But he's got money here, the expectations are here. You see that gap? That's the divorce gap. But let me call it what it is before it's the divorce gap. It's the credit gap. Because how you make up the difference? Well, uh, you probably received about three advertisements in the mail this week for, for new credit cards. Did, you get, did anybody get an a offer for a credit card in the mail this week? Yeah. You know, I ask that question all over America. And uh, you'd be surprised, maybe you wouldn't. Everybody in America gets those things every, every week. It's amazing how much they pay on that. 
Well, you get one card, you know, there's a Visa and a Discover and this one and that one, and then before long, you got a lot of plastic in your wallet. And you max it out, you know, well, this one's full, but we got some space on this one. Let's, you know, let's put the vacation on this new car we just got. Brendan, if I had, if you had a dollar, and I had a dollar and 20 cents, would you trade me? Yeah, probably the first time. All right, let's do the math on it, though. If I had $100, no, you had $100, and I had $120. But yeah, you'd make that trade. Let's switch it. You got the 120 I got the 100 Would you make that trade? No. What about 1000 versus 1200 You see, 20% interest is trading a dollar for a dollar twenty. You can do it for a little while, but you're coming out on the short end of that stick. And then when you get to where you can't make the payments every month, then it accumulates. And then if you get behind, there's fees on top of that and penalties. And, and then what if he loses his job? Or there's sickness and has to go in the hospital. You see, let me give you, uh, I'll do this. We got time for this. Let's do the financial principles. <clears throat> Let's do this, the 10 goals of a young family, 10 financial goals for a young family, and then we'll do the seven uh, financial principles from the world's richest man. Let's do the 10 first. The, these goals are true for every young couple. These are what you want to set out as, these are our financial goals, what we want to accomplish with the money that we bring in. Number one, to be self-supporting. That's uh, 1 Timothy 5, verse 8. Incidentally, sometimes you do a, you do a budget before, you know, even pre-marriage counseling, and you sit down, you know, and somebody talks to you, and some preacher, Brother Chester, somebody, and say, well, next, next week when you come back with a budget, well, you know, how much money you have coming in, how are you going to spend it? And then they come back and they say, well, did you get your budget? Yes, but we don't have enough money to pay for all of it. You know, that means you've got to adjust it down because you've you got to pay what you've got to pay. You know, the bills are come, going to come due. She might say, yeah, but Daddy, he's got plenty of money. No, he doesn't. <laughs> not for you, he doesn't. Yeah, he loves me. Yeah, he loves you. But if he loves you, he's not going to pay your bills. Why? Because the Bible says you're to bear your own burden. He's going to pay his bills. Now, if it was an emergency, yes, he would step in and help somebody who was a stranger whose house burned down, he would give them money if they needed it. But, he, but if there's no emergency, then it, the Bible says that each is to bear his own burden, financial burden is, uh, would be included in that. So that's the first one. Be self-supporting. Second one is support, uh, support family and children. You know, there's some people that are having children all over town and they're letting somebody else support them. The government... Whoever will marry this girlfriend that I don't intend to be with forever? Well, that's not the way God set it up. Support your family. And that would include um, <clears throat> food and clothes for your children. You could put down on that 2 Timothy 3.10, Genesis 3.19. Importance to work, to, and that's one of the purposes of it. Three, <clears throat> have money to give to God. 
Give generously to God. 1 Corinthians 16.2 Now you might say, well, you should have put that one first. And I guess it probably would have been good to put it first. But is it any less a responsibility to support yourself and to support your family than it is to give on Sundays? No, all three of those are Bible commands. And so give generously on Sunday. What happens though is that that scenario I just painted where they're spending money on credit cards, often the first thing that gets cut is Sunday contribution. Well, we don't have any money to give God. Wait a minute. I got money to spend on a new boat. I don't have money to put in the plate on Sunday. What's wrong with that? You know, sell the boat, give to God. You don't want to cheat God. Will a man rob God? Malachi chapter 3, 8. Well, a lot of people do, but you don't want to be one of them. You want to be one that gives generously to God. Not only because He tells you to, but because you want to. I mean, take, taking uh, ownership of a congregation, you see the budget when it's posted, and you say, you know, we've got a lot of good things planned this year. We really want to get the gospel out. We're helping people. We're, we're bringing up our children right. This church needs money. I want to do my part. So, you know, and there's joy in that. Great joy in giving. So you want to participate. You want to teach your children as they grow up the joy of giving. You know, even before they can remember when, when you have to pry open their fingers to drop the quarter in to the plate, you know, on Sunday. But they love to give, you know. And if you forget to give them a quarter, boy, you know, when that plate starts coming, they want their quarter, you know, and then their dollar or whatever it is to teach them to give part of their allowance to God. And when they get a job, then, you know, it's just like when you get a job, you give part of it to God. So give generously to God. Number four, provide livable housing. You could put Luke 10, 38 there uh, when Jesus visited in the home of Mary and Martha. I think it was Martha's house. Mary's often there in Lazarus. <clears throat> a livable home. Let's describe that just briefly. It doesn't have to be uh, you know, a huge house with 15 rooms on a nice, in a nice community. But it needs to be large enough to provide for adequate needs of the family, which would include if you have both genders of children, that they can have ideally their own room. You know, maybe, maybe you have two daughters and two sons and they may share a room, but a son and a daughter not having to share a room. So you want to have a livable house that they're not ashamed to invite their friends to come over or there's room there, where there is room for them to invite their friends to come over and have to stay, stay over on a weekend for you to be able to invite people over from church to do evangelism or edification for you to have family get-togethers. You know, you want to have an adequate house, a safe house. Safe where, you know, the, it's in a community where you don't fear that your child can't go out and play in the yard. So that's a livable house. Number next, you want to have enough money to pay the bills without stress each month. That's Romans 13.8. Owe no man anything. That doesn't mean that it's wrong to you know, have a mortgage on your house. It means it's wrong not to pay the mortgage on your house. Don't owe it in the sense that you, not, you haven't met your responsibilities. Number next, have money to go on an annual vacation. You know, there are some children that grow up and they never see the beauty of God's creation. They never get to go to the mountains. They don't see any historical sites where great things happened in other parts of the country. They don't get to travel. Well, that's not an absolute imperative, but it surely is a blessing to have that, those experiences and those bonding times with family, family members. You know, some of the great memories of most families is when we went on vacation and we spent this time together and we did these things. Well, that's um, Mark 4.31, coming apart and rest a while. We all need that. Now we next have some emergency funds, Proverbs 6, 6 through 8. <clears throat> um, 
What's the likelihood that you will never have a job stoppage? You know, you got a good job and you're working. Well, what's the likelihood that you will always have a job and you'll never be laid off or you'll, you'll never have the company going? Well, you just look at the job force. I mean, on a Sunday, if, if I ask that question, everybody's in there and they, they're willing to participate. I say, if you've ever had to find a job unexpectedly, most of the hands in there would go up. Now, what's the likelihood that you personally are not going to have that experience? Well, probably not too good over 40 years. So what does that mean? That means that I need to have some emergency funds. Most financial advisors would say six months funds. You know, whatever you've, been, you've made the last six months, that's how much you need to have set aside in, a, in an emergency account. Most people don't have any money set aside. They're, they're borrowing from Peter to pay Paul for the bills that they got coming in. So don't get in that situation where you've got to stress over paying the bills and also you don't have anything to fall back on. There are some jobs that you could get fired on Friday and get hired on Monday. You know, plumbers, uh, construction workers, generally speaking, certain parts of the, of the economy, uh, uh, certain parts of the, in, the, in an economy and certain fields will be booming at different times and Sometimes tech workers can do that. But most people, it's going to take about three months to get a comparable job. And even then, you might not get a job that paid as much. You're going to have to build back up to where you were in the company that you just... So have money set aside for that extenuation. Number next. Retirement. Well, my elders at Jacksonville, and I love them for this. We have 14 people that work house to house and with the church. So there's, there's, a, there's a group of us and they've done, they've done great with benefits and uh, I don't know if any church has done what they've been willing to do and they, they're great and we're grateful to them and they're looking out for us and they, you know, they got a health insurance that we can buy into retirement. Retirement, the reason I bring it up is because they will match 3% up to 6%. They just changed it. They went up to 9%. So they'll match 4.5% on 9%. Uh, of salary, anybody wants to contribute to it. But what they're seeing is that the younger people on the staff aren't willing to participate. And they're upset about that. I'm in the elders' meetings with them, and they're saying, boy, they're going to need that money. Why? Because when you're 25, you don't realize how soon you'll be 65. And how little, you know, $30,000 seems like a lot, $100,000 seems like a lot. Half a million seems like a lot, but if you're going to live on it, you know, till you're 80 years old, and you're going to stop earning money at some point, it's going to go. And then by then, $100,000 is going to be more the equivalent of $50,000. You take 1980s dollars in 2018, you know, $30,000 back then was a good salary, and now it's it's not for a family. So. Anyway, the next one, I think this is the last one, is um, have some money to give an have something to give an inheritance. That's not imperative, but most parents want to leave something to their children. Now, let me give you quickly um, Solomon's. Yeah, I can give you these. And we'll <clears throat> these are Solomon's seven. This is the world's richest man giving seven financial principles. Uh, let's begin in uh, Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. God owns everything. Give Him His part first. You know? Whose money am I putting in the plate on Sunday when He comes down there? 
Well, it's my check, you know. It came out of my wallet. That's true. But it's really God's money because everything I have is His. The earth and works therein, everything is His. So I'm really only giving back to Him what He's already loaned to me. Number two, this is from all, all these from Proverbs. Proverbs 10, verse 4, a spiritual person pays attention to physical concerns. You might say, well, I don't worry about money. I don't, no. Uh, Proverbs 10, 4 says that uh, if you're... And riches in the book of Proverbs used in a positive way. It says you've got to give attention to it or it will sprout wings and fly away. Number three, Solomon says, to live within your means, don't spend all the money that you make. Proverbs 15, verse 16. Four, don't waste what God gives. Proverbs 18, verse 9. We're in a throwaway society, you know. Put food in the fridge... Throw it out. We didn't ever get around to eating it. You know, here this, this vacuum cleaner's tore up. Well, throw it away. We'll buy another one. Might just need a belt. You know, might be fixable. These shoes, well, they're, you know, they're, they're two years old already. I don't think I need some new shoes. Maybe I could make them last another year. You know, polish them up. Well, throw away society. Don't waste what God gives. Number five, make big decisions slowly. You know, there's an impulse buying when you go in Walmart and they've got these things while you're waiting in line, you know, bubble gum and matches. and like, You know, that's the impulse section. Say, oh, matches. I need, need matches. Oh, cold drink. I need that as I go out. You know, so you add about $5 to what you intended to spend just in the impulse while you're waiting to get up there. And that probably is not going to break the bank. But you know, there's impulse buying that has to do with other stuff. Let's say you go to the outlets with your wife. And, you know, she's shopping in this store and that store. And you're like, I think I'm going to go over here to this, this uh, tool store, you know. And uh, you go wander through there. And then you say, wait, there's a boat show going on. Man, look at these boats. And you go, boy, I, boy, hmm, I haven't been fishing. I need to start fishing, you know. I'm wasting my life here. Not... And you get to talking to the guy. And then, you know, she comes out with two bags and she spent $400. And you come out. You bought a boat for $40,000. You bought what? (laughs) Yeah, but it's only $300 a month or, you know, impulse buying. You know, everybody does it. Men tend to tend tend to impulse buy on big ticket items. So here's the rule. There are three rules. One is anything that's not budgeted, wait 30 days to buy. I'm not talking about bubble gum, but I'm talking about big ticket things. You know, that same boat, you say, well, you know, my wife and I have agreement. We're going to wait 30 days before we buy anything that's not budgeted. But I tell you what, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. We're going to get this boat 30 days. Don't you sell my boat. Well, about a, a week later, he's been thinking about it. I'm, I'm looking forward to my boat, but not quite as intense. 15 days, 20 days, 25, 29 days. I don't really need a boat. <laughs> you know, what am I going to do with a boat? I don't have anywhere to put it. I only probably get to use it three times a year. I'm not going to get that boat. He would have been making his first payment then. During that month, get three bids on the same item. You might save $1,000 even if you go ahead and buy the boat. Um, <clears throat> and don't have more than one impulse item on your list at a time. You know, you can't be waiting 30 days on a boat and on a truck to pull the boat. You know, you got to have only one thing on your impulse item at, the, at a time. Uh, number next. 
Watch out for pleasure and luxury items. Proverbs, uh, I didn't give you the scripture before. It's Proverbs 21.5 on big ticket items. And this one is Proverbs 21.17. Don't put vacations on credit cards, for instance. Don't put consumables on credit cards. That's, that's a rule of thumb. Because then you, you don't have anything in the incentive. You've already used it. Now you just got the bill. Save up for those things. Then number seven, uh, don't spend all you make. Put some back. Proverbs 21, verse 20. We talked about that a little earlier. <clears throat> all right. We got five minutes. And I want to do the, the um, last one on our list is church work. I won't spend a long time here, but this is very important. We talked about baptism, career, finding a spouse, building a marriage. Now let's talk about church work. What are you going to do for God? You know, what you're going to do for your job, that's, that's, that's important, but it's not as important as what you're going to do for the church. So what do you do? I know we have several congregations represented here. What do you do in your, in your congregation? What, what are you responsible for? Are you an elder? Are you a deacon? Are you in charge of tech? Are you teaching a Bible class? Do you have a benevolence calls? Do you go on mission trips? Do you, what is it that you do? The church has a lot of things. You know, the, our elders came up with a list. They... They try to put everything it's possible to do at the Jacksonville Church of Christ for God on it's like three pages. And whenever somebody comes to place membership with us or is baptized, they'll give them that and say, you know, go through here and tell us what your interests are, what you think your, your abilities are, and check every box, and then they'll use that to, you know, make decisions on who does what. And they'll do the periodically, they'll update, update those lists. So, what are you going to do for God? You know, when you're in the summer of life, that's when you're going to choose, most likely, uh, those items. Uh, let me give you four questions to help you make that decision. I, nobody can make that decision for you, but here are the four questions asked. Number one, what needs to be done? This church would be better if... Dot, dot, dot. How would you finish that sentence? Well, our congregation would be better if we had a better song leader. Okay? I've been in churches like that. Well, could you watch YouTube videos? Learn how to lead singing? Do you have a good voice? Could you do some singing schools? You know, we, we still have those periodically, not as much as we used to, but you might travel across the state and take a singing school. Go to a university, take a singing class. Go to PTP, they have singing classes. And practice. And then start getting up and doing a little at a time. Could you become a good song leader if you really worked at it? This church would be better if we had a good song leader. Could I do that? This church would be better if we had interesting Bible teachers, for an interesting teacher for our teenagers. I mean... The guy, he's, he's a nice guy, and he's, he'll do anything that you ask him to do. But I tell you, those teenagers just about fall asleep in there. Okay? Maybe you could say to the elders, you know, if, if there's ever an opportunity to need somebody to teach the teenagers, I'd, I'd be willing to, to, to step in for a quarter. And, and then you pray about it, you study hard, you watch other preachers and teachers who are good communicators and you figure out why, what goes into that. And then you bring them in there and you engage those minds during those pivotal years. You become that teacher they needed that influences their lives. This church would be better if we had more conversions. You got any neighbors? You know, any children across town? You know, nephews, grandchildren, uh, neighbors across the street you can bring to VBS. Uh, door knocking is next a week. Next week, I had never been before, but I'm going because this church needs to grow. I tell you, I can tell. This church would be better if. What needs to be done? That's the first question to ask. 
Esther 4.14, who knows whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Number two, what are you passionate about? Where are your interests? I mentioned Romans 1.14 earlier, as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel. Uh, Ecclesiastes 9.10, whatsoever thy hand finds to do, do it with thy might. You know, what are you passionate? Are you passionate about young people? Okay. Well, could, could you host a devotional at your house Sunday night after church? Could you take them to a youth rally or a youth event that the elders approve of the congregation's young people going to? Say, well, I'll take a Saturday. I'll take them. Are you passionate about, what is it? Hurting people? We have a family that has three special needs. Children they're taken care of. It's amazing. Her, the wife's mother, had an accident when she was young. She took care of her mom until she died. She's uniquely qualified for that. That's what they're passionate about. It's a great need. All right, so I'll say about that. Number three, what are your talents? What will your talents allow you to do? That's Matthew 25, 14 to 30. Um, You know, they've never asked me to lead singing in a gospel meeting, you know. It's because that's not my talent, you know. You might want to do something that you don't really have the talent to do, so be honest with yourself. Say, well, you know, I, I, would, I would like to be a youth minister, but I just don't really have the personality to connect with young people. I'm not in that age bracket anymore. It's not something I can do. Okay, be honest with yourself. What are your talents? What does God want you to do based on what He's equipped you to do? You could put down Romans uh, 12, 4 to 8 there, a good list of uh, different choices you could make. And then, number last, <clears throat> what do you have the opportunity to do? Galatians 6.10. You know, I remember one time I wanted to be a youth minister at this church really bad. Prayed about it. Put my name in the hat. Interviewed with the elders. And they picked somebody else. <laughs> you know? I was devastated for a couple weeks. Now I look back on that. God closed that door. But He opened a door for me to go preach every Sunday. Now look back, what, what helped me more for what I was going to do in the kingdom? Probably, I'd already done youth work, you know. It was probably time for me to move on in preparing all those sermons, all that study, the experience of preaching and learning how to communicate. Well, what do you have the opportunity to do? Maybe that you don't, you're not selected to be an elder and you say, well, that's what I want to be. Well, don't sulk about it. Don't say, well, I want me to do nothing then. I'll show them. So what you're going to show God? You're going to do nothing because He didn't let you be an elder? Be a deacon. Or be a Bible teacher. Or be a soul winner. Nobody ever says you can't visit the people that are sick in the hospital. Well, go do that. You know, you, Nobody ever says you can't bring somebody to sit with you at church on Sunday and needs to hear the gospel. Do that. You know, What do we have the opportunity to do? Alright, that's all the time that we have. We'll take a break then until the next session. Or we'll have a song. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <clears throat>
for a few minutes. 